welcome to episode two of the Battle Royale podcast. I'm your host, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, hello, hello. On our previous episode, we obviously were introduced to several of our, our classmates as we looked at the opening of... Uh, of the cult classic that is Battle Royale. Today we're obviously looking at the bus ride, as um, that's what this chapter is going to basically entail. But at the same time, while it may seem as kind of a throwaway scene, it is one that does obviously introduce several key characters to us that are going to play very important parts in the story. So at this point, obviously the class are yet to make it to the island. We've established already that Society as a whole is basically going to going to hell in a handcart. I mean, you thought COVID was bad. In this vision of Japan, the youth are uprising and the government have put in the Battle Royale Act where each year a nominated class are going to battle to the death, to one left standing, um, to as a shining example of the lengths the government is willing to go to to retain the law and order of society. We also got introduced to uh, Kitano, our, our head teacher, who was uh, stabbed in the. We had a we had a very big discussion of whether it's his ass or his thigh that Nobu stabbed him in. Uh, did we even come to like a final? Discussion? I I reckon it's his upper thigh rather okay. than his buttock, but only because only because Kitano says something in the next episode. But yeah, it doesn't matter. He got stabbed by a student. <laughs> And obviously, B. Takashi, being the cool cat that he is, was completely unfazed about this, but perhaps he knew what was lying ahead for this class. So, obviously, the class in, in this particular chapter, they're on the bus, they think they're going off on a school trip, and it's here that we sort of introduced to many of our sort of key players. We obviously got Nanahara, who's... Um, there with his uh, best friend Nobu who's been tempted back into going back to school because it's a school class and trip and uh, you know that's important See, as you mentioned on the previous episode Stephen there's certain events that will get the students to turn up and the rest of the time they just want to skive off it seems so yeah I'm looking at my like I said to you earlier like looking at my notes for this scene I wrote they went on the trip they could both go to school but they turn up to basketball matches and they turn up for school trips. I don't know where they're going. It's never mentioned, is it? They just no. They just wear a uniform, get on a bus, and 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 they've all turned up to a man. <laughs> Which so it must be a really good school trip. I don't know where they where they're going. If it's anything like my school trips, where you went to like the glue factory or <laughs> the box factory, it's really <laughs> inane trips. I remember. Yeah, I had. Yeah, at, at sort of the age they are, so what to be decided, it was sort of like lower secondary school, sort of 15, 16. Yeah, yeah well, well, I wouldn't freebies. have been going. Yeah, I wouldn't have been going to anything because obviously it had been exam time. But yeah, maybe yeah. a day trip to France, I think, was the most exciting thing we had. But that was to Normandy, um, which, and it's grim. It's grimmer than Dover when you left it, so. <laughs> yeah. But, but probably better than the trip they're going to have. <laughs> So, and I have to just like point out here, it's really kind of convenient that we have an equal number of boys and girls on this trip that make up Class 3B. So is that a... Is that just a thing that happens in Japanese schools? Well, and I don't by, know. By, because... by an accident of, of genetics, they always balance out? Or is there, is there always a Class 3 which has the odd person in it or something? <laughs> 
<laughs> the ones that don't balance out. I was just about to say, it's really going to screw up the roster if, like, if like one person decides to go off sick or can't be tempted back for that school trip to wherever the hell these, this class are going. They're going to go off and see, like, the shrines or wherever Japanese school kids go for school trips, so... Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a sort of a tradition thing. Maybe that at the end of the year, there is always a school trip, and it's always a bit special. But you know, they're on a coach, and it's a and it's a long way. So, and and like you say, and and just some of them just seem to be really up for it as well. <laughs> yeah, um, it's this is our chance. It, it does kind of fly in the face of what we've come to expect from the these students because they just seem like any normal sort of class. They don't seem particularly disruptive or you know, like like something out of um, a trauma movie, because you expect that the way the film sets them up, they're gonna be like uh, like when you watch uh, trauma movies, like Class of Newcomb High, and they're just like old punks and just like trashing everything, and the bus is like covered in corrugated iron to keep them all uh, in place. No, they've all they've all turned up. They're all wearing regulation school uniform. They all seem pretty straight kids, you know what I mean? There's, yeah. Um, and and there'll be, you know, there'll be um, some characters in the next the next chapter that we'll meet that, that that are a little bit different, but none of them have got crazy hair or or any particular distinguishing feature. Bad haircuts. That's about it, really. They just they just seem very good traditional Japanese school kids. And to be honest with you, if we didn't have that scene where we get the bum slash let's let's call it that um it could almost you could almost make an argument that um that battle royale is bullshit and that there is no sort of rebellious youth and this is just a tool by the totalitarian government to sort of just take over um but because we've seen it and the day none of them went to school again Maybe there was a good reason none of them turned up. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was a, an official day off and they were having a joke. I don't know. But yeah, there's this 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 early bit of the film, the sort of the, the setting of the scene in the film. I do think they make some missteps that maybe we really pick up on because we're being a bit um, you know, we're 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 digging, we're diving deep into this, aren't we? We're being very forensic because I think this is this is the problem because like, when you watch this so many times. That you then start thinking. I remember the first time I, first few times I watched this, I've never once questioned like why the students are the way they are compared to how the intro tells us the way they are. Yeah. So it it sort of only, and I mean obviously I think it's all balanced out by the fact that when we get on the island, that a lot of these kids are going to start showing their true colours. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the, the point is, in a in a little bit of time, the the shit's going to hit the fan. And we won't really care what they're wearing on the school bus. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and in terms of world building, it, it's a you know I, I know the novel goes into it more, but it doesn't really matter, right? Because the general paradigm of the world that we're in on this film is a government makes school kids kill each other. Everything else doesn't matter, does it? Because that 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 paradigm that we're in is already so horrific ridiculous challenging whatever you want to call it doesn't really matter why they got there does it not at all one of the key characters who we get a better introduction to in this sequence is noriko um now we did obviously see noriko back when um, we when katana was um attacked in the hallway and she was a uh, kind of a bit uh 
bit shocked by all all that was uh, sort of happening there. But now she's obviously on the school trip. We find out that uh, she's got sort of an interest in our our leading man, and uh, she, of course, is so you know she's so wonderfully shy and about uh, expressing this crush. So she decides that she's going to uh, make him cookies. Which are one of another of the key characters in this film. I also have to say that when she gives them to him, what kind of an ass is Nobu? The fact that he just instantly dives in there. He doesn't wait to be offered. He's just straight in there before he even so, has like chance to react. Yeah. So, so Nobu, who who let's face it, has come on the school trip even though he literally assaulted a teacher with a bladed weapon the last time we saw him, and unprovoked as well. <coughs> absolutely unprovoked, and as we'll find out later hasn't been back to school since um is 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 an all-round dick really <laughs> because <laughs> yeah yes yeah, so as you say look nariko's obviously sort of you know got 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 a crush on um on uh nana shuya and um yeah he just dives in oh these are really nice i'm so glad i came <laughs> i mean he's uh He's 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 whatever the opposite of a cock blocker is as well, isn't he? Just... he, he he's he's not like so much a cock block. He's just a grenade. Yeah, he is. <laughs> it's sort of like you hope that she's got a friend that she doesn't really have too close a friendship with, so she can lob him at her at him. Yeah, he is. It's, um, I think we might talk about him more in 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 our ne- in our next episode. But yeah, he's not um. He's not one of the most sympathetic characters that we meet in this film, um, and and he's and he's yet yet he should be really important because he is he is the best friend of our of our lead, and in any other film this would go in a completely different way. I'm assuming everybody listening to this podcast has watched the film. I can't believe anyone's going to come to this podcast without seeing it, right? So. We 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 know his fate, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm sort of I'm tippy toeing around it. But yeah, he's a he's a he's a he's a dick, mate. Yeah, that would certainly be one <laughs> way of describing him. Certainly. Yeah, when it comes to with Norco, her background is a little undeveloped here compared to obviously when we compare it to the manga and the the novel, which obviously has the space to do this. But Norco's interested in the fact that she doesn't belong to any of the the group she's not one of the basketball stars she's not one of the popular kids and she's certainly not one of the gangs and she along with several of the other classmates has a group um known as the neutral group so they've got no real sort of qualms with anyone and they've got no sort of affiliation to any particular sort of group but um she as i said she's she's really shy and adorable and she's sort of like the one truly good person in this this group everyone else has got their sort of flaws and their sort of issues but um and even shuya is um sort of got his own sort of issues or you know carrying the guilt of his father's father's death and not knowing where he sort of uh where he sort of stands his line much less the the acts he's willing to sort of participate in throughout this game as we obviously come to but noriko's like this one pure symbol of innocence that we see throughout this film and certainly it's it's certainly well established with this sort of opening uh that we see of her because you know what's better way to introduce the sweetness and girl than having to be the one who brings brings a snack yeah i get i guess and again there's some there's some stuff that happens with this character later which may um, expand upon this Is is she the one who actually does go to school on the first day that we yes. see them. It is her, isn't it? So she is representing 
some kind of ideal schoolgirl. Um, you know, she she works hard, she goes to school, she bakes cookies, she has little girly crushes on people. Um, she doesn't belong to any particular clique. I guess she's she's almost sort of some something idealised, although not. You know, we're talking Japanese schoolgirls here. Quite often, these things are fetishised, and, and we'll talk about that with maybe a couple of the other characters later. But yeah, she's she's very much sort of every girl. Can can we say that? Um, yeah, she she, re- she represents something something very pure, and not to just us, the audience, and not just to sort of the Japanese audience, but it'll it'll show that she represents some kind of purity, and and. The sort of girl, the sort, you know, shall I say, the sort of daughter that everybody wants, um, without giving too much away um, uh, later on. Um, so she's yeah, she's a really important character, but really underdeveloped, and she exists for me. She exists for what she is, rather than who she is. If that makes sense. Yeah, I understand what you're saying there. I mean, certainly in the film, she does suffer from being a little undeveloped. But when we look at like the novel, I mean, we, the relationship that she has with Shuyu is pretty established before they even go on the trip. I mean, she helps him with his uh, music and gives him like little notes and and things. And her ambition really was to become a teacher. Although I'm not sure how keen she is to become a teacher after she sees what the teachers do in this film, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, as, as you said, right? She's just, you know, she's the good girl of the, of the plot. She and, and she has the obviously a crush on Shuya. And with when we look at like the novel version of and the manga version of Shuya, we establish already the fact he's a musician, and we see do see little glimpses of this in the flashback. And it's also worth noting that his uh, guitar is called Wild Seven, ah. which will <laughs> obviously come more into effect in the sequel. But indeed, but yes, interesting. I just know that if I didn't mention that now, I'm sure as hell going to forget it. <laughs> <having> <laughs> to be but yeah, I mean, I really liked. I really like her character. I mean, it's as you know as stereotypical as the good girl she is. I never felt that she was sort of like the damsel in distress who needs to be saving. I mean, she essentially looks after her but it's it seems more just in tune with his character rather than the fact that she needs to constantly have someone to to save her um guys in this in this film certainly just seem to just willingly want to save her regardless so she just um she just seems to follow people around rather than being like a lead or someone with her own sort of sense of direction here she's and i think that plays in well especially to her good girl sort of memories the fact that she would be essentially kind of flustered by the fact that you know half the class has suddenly turned into homicidal maniacs and the rest are just basically losing their mind um about the situation that's now sort of facing them mm, yeah um also i'd just like to mention about the actress actually um okay. so it's played by a girl called aki maida who's uh as possibly we'll say a few times again over this episode she's she's an actress and singer um we have we come across her before we have she's um she she plays a character in Gamera 3 Awaking of Iris which is certainly a film we've talked about before and she's also in this is one for you mate she's also in Godzilla Mothra and King Ghidorah giant monsters all out attack from 2001 and for, for something more in my world she's also in um Linda 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 which is a delightful um Japanese film about girls at a Japanese school forming a band along with um, Beidou Na, the Korean actress, which is really good. Um, 
But more interestingly, her big sister, Amada, who is also a actress and singer, is uh, the main female character in Battle Royale 2. <laughs> so, um, they, they kept that one in the family. Um, but yeah, she's you know nothing, nothing not not as big a star as the last person we talked about. But um, yeah, she plays she plays the drummer in Linda Linda Linda, which is where I know her from originally. But uh, yeah, there we go, Aki Maida. Okay, um, well we're obviously talking about the differences as well with the between the source material and the film. Um, it's also on this bus ride that in the manga, especially that we are introduced to uh, Shogo Kawada who's the veteran from the previous game. Now, in, as I said, in the source material, he's a transfer, he's a transfer student, but he's already part of the class. And mm. I know in one of the versions, I think it's the book, um, he actually gets held back a year, and this is why he ends up going back into the game. It's not just the fact he's a veteran, as the film um, has as I suggest. And we'll obviously get into more of his backstory uh, a bit later, but when we have the scene where they're being gassed, he's like suddenly fully aware of uh, the fact that of what's going to be happening to them and starts basically trying to punch his way through the bus window. And it's um, this is sort of like the first sort of hint, really, uh, to show you that you know something really isn't football is in the film he's not introduced at all and our other our other transfer student uh mitsuko is also part of the class he's actually a um a gang leader but he's actually part of the class already so that's how he's introduced as well he's part of the uh he's, he's already on the bus he doesn't just get drafted in as this person who joined the game for fun as the film introduces him as but when we have that sort of build up to the whole bus being sort of gas and we see like the glimpses of the military personnel on the on the road and we get those little snare drum beats whenever they're on screen that uh, mm. little bit of a military Mil yeah a little military two-step going on isn't there that's right um is that something you picked up like on your first off watching or is it no i think it's something i what I, I picked up on later watches um, as I as I wix wix lyrical wax lyrical last time I I, I I do I did struggle with the world building aspect and again again on this rewatch um, that moment I thought was kind of telling because it, it's showing they are trying to create this world and yeah and then they've got the, the sort of the musical it's not really a musical cue is it it's like an yes. oral cue i suppose of, of what the military is it also reminded me of there's, there's some other films um a lot of films that are set in taiwan during the sort of the military dictatorship um brighter summer's day is one of them where it's school children on buses and then it and then as you drive past you see um you see tanks by the side of the road or or some other kind of sort of military people carriers and things like that which again sort of there's, there's a dissonance between kids on the school bus and the military outside you know that, that, are, that are controlling the place and it, yeah it felt I, I don't know if there's any relation but to that to the, between these two films but it's a it's a beat and a, and, and a dissonance between those two worlds that, that I've seen in other places at all as, as other places at all in other places as well <laughs> you've got a, you've got an editing job ahead of you tonight um, <laughs> i guess but i won't i haven't got my teeth in i'm sorry everybody i'm getting old um 
Yeah. Um, but it was, it was, it was, that's one of the notes I've taken is that it's, that's the, that's the moment that they, they just remind us possibly because of everything we were saying earlier, you know, like they're on the bus, they're on a school trip, they're having some cookies, they're having a bit of a laugh and, um, but don't forget everybody, this is a military state <laughs> and, uh, and they give us, they give us that look at it, don't they? Yeah, definitely. So, and you can tell the teacher knows. It gives us that first sort of indication that he knows what's going on, um, as we see him like glancing at the military personnel, and and I think he almost knows exactly w- what has happened. The fact that the class has been picked, because I think if he knew ahead of time that the class was going to be picked for this battle royale, I don't think he would have gone on the trip. The teacher. Yeah, the teacher. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I think that's quite. Again, we'll talk about this more next episode. But yeah, it's quite clear this is not what he wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, oh, why did no other teachers choose to go on this? Because this is one teacher and forty students. Mm. And then, on all my class trips, as I recall, it was sort of like one teacher and like three backup teachers to keep people in line and give you a bash over the head with a plastic cup which you got out of line. And Although suddenly... we do have a we do we do have um, a tour guide. <laughs> Which was that that was another incongruity. I never had tour guides when I went on school trips. So I had just like you say, maybe one teacher for every ten kids, something like that. Enough just to keep the, in control. You just had the teacher and what, they just like barked orders for the crackly PA. Pretty much, yeah. I don't. I don't ever remember having a a a, a smartly dressed um, tour guide, but maybe <laughs> I just wasn't paying attention. It's a classy <laughs> bus service, you can tell, because the driver's wearing a hat, <laughs> <laughs> rather than just some some overweight guy sweating profusely as he. <laughs> And we've all got to have a collection for him at the end. <laughs> really? Oh, we were, didn't have a collect for our driver. Well, we didn't either. We got given a little bit of money by our parents to go, you know, when we go to the museum or whatever it is that you're doing, to buy something in the gift shop at the end. The last thing you can do is give money off to the driver. <laughs> I need to spend that on sweets and and clearly medical aid, if we've been on this one. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Uh, I had to, also uh, I don't remember my teachers ever sitting at the back of the bus where this teacher is. He's sitting with the girls at the back of the bus, which is you there know. is yeah that that feels a little um a bit a bit a bit a bit yew tree doesn't it a bit creepy. Um, although I think again there are different sort of social mores, aren't they? I guess um, we're probably I mean you and I grew up I grew up in the 70s and 80s you grew up in the 80s and 90s um, and, and, and the separation in the UK between teachers and children was very strong um, whereas I think they, um, the Japanese school children are usually a little bit more respectful of the teachers when they're not slashing them across the arse again this doesn't make any sense <laughs> are they are they not coming to school or are they good kids that have really good relationships with their teachers and frankly is the is the actual truth is that Katano was a shit teacher. <laughs> it was a hatchet job plotted by the rest of the school or something to get him to leave. <laughs> yeah, because as we said in the previous episode, he leaves the day after he gets attacked by Nobu because, you know, let's face it, nobody wants to deal with this. <laughs> and he never came back again. But, um, yeah, but the, yeah, the main teacher is clearly loves this class 
he, maybe he just liked it, Elwood, because for the last six months he's had nothing to do because they all stopped going to school and he's been working on his novel or his or his or his university paper or something. <laughs> That's why he likes you, him so much because they've given him a break. You say that, but we also, when we look at the the source material again, there's there's these references to the fact that not everybody goes along with what the government wants. I mean, obviously with um, Shuya's parents, depending on which version you read, there were seen as um government dissidents weren't they so mm. and um and trying to go against against the uh the trend which led to them being you know killed or out ostracized from their own families so it's certainly um not a popular choice to make and certainly one that i think the teacher will soon find out is uh not a good choice to make either to go against the act mm. but I, there's something about the fact that how we have that gas in sequence. So it's not it's not the old cliche way where you have like the gas seeping through the floors and it's so like oh my god mass panic. No, everyone just suddenly everyone's like all happy and awake, and then the next thing it's like a, almost like a finger snap, and then suddenly everyone's unconscious. Yeah, see, I read I read that a different way because I remember going on school trips and we all fell asleep on the coach. And really? so I. I yeah oh god yeah <laughs> I just remember ours was just chaos and anarchy of people yeah, just throwing stuff and I, and and then that that's probably fun I, I yeah I got it that they'd all kind of fallen asleep and the gas had happened that's keeping them asleep but I'm actually now you said it maybe your reading of it makes more sense that you know they've all been knocked out what I don't understand is why our friend sure yeah wakes up and seems utterly unaffected by it (laughs) yeah he's got a superpower that comes of no use at any other time in the film but hey ho i had no idea i mean maybe he i don't know but what does it get him he gets him clubbed over the head yeah which is another (laughs) one actually one of my favorite bits of the film where you know the, the the this sort of tour guide woman in a in a red sort of almost air stewardess type outfit yeah. Turns around, gas mask is on. It's a quite a striking visual image. It's the first, It's it's one of the two really striking images of women in this film. Um, like the other one will come to next episode, I suspect. And she comes up to him, whacks him over the head with a. Oh, what is it? Is it a fire extinguisher? No, it's a club. It's a club. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. But it's 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 a weapon for this purpose. <laughs> it's oh yeah, it's definitely. Because you think she might come up and gas that. him, don't you? But no, she literally whacks him over the head with a club. <laughs> <laughs> we got gassing money in this budget. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've used all the gas up. That's why they all went out quickly. Yeah. But yes, yeah. But it's, it's quite it's quite a strike. And again, that's because she's she's kind of representing some kind of authority, isn't she? Um, because she's in a uniform, and you trust people in uniform, and they, can, you know, she'll tell you which side of the bus to look out of to see the sights, and and but no, she's she's been she's been perverted to be a a, a tool of the um of the battle royale program, and because uh, I think he must trust her, and, and he's, he's he's obviously a little weirded out. She's wearing a gas mask, but yeah, whack, <laughs> nice. Yes, and it's also um, at the same moment that we enter a tunnel that they're Ooh, they're, gassed, yeah. they're actually gassed out. So um, it really sort of marks that transition from them being you know everyday school kids to now being in the program, which I thought was a really nice visual image. It's a subtle mm. one, but it's as I say, it's a nice um, it's a nice visual sort of um, 
reference point there, the fact that they've you've got that transition point of them going from just being, you know, just Joe average uh, school kids. And this, I mean, this is, with the film, it suggests that it's just one class per year that's put across. Uh, whereas we get hints in, like, the, something in, like, the the manga and uh, the novel that there's multiple multiple games that are held throughout the year and it's just the lottery that they hold for for the classes just sort of picks out several classes to be put put through this program so yeah i seem to remember from the novel i got that feeling as well and maybe there was sort of you know one per prefecture or something like that because mm. but but again then that makes this their utter ignorance of it even less likely but yeah, and it just I, what you said about the tunnel, um, you know, I, I guess we haven't really we, we talked about the director last last time, but you know he's not a hack. This is oh, no. this is one of the um, this is one of the great direct sort of Japanese directors um, with, a, with, a, with a really well regarded back catalogue, and this is not a this is not a you know you talked about trauma earlier. No, this is this is not a hacky cheap low budget film um this this you know this film's got a really quite talented cast who'll all go on to great things and, and a really good a really a really good director obviously at the end of his um at the end of his uh, career and his life but you know there are moments like that which show you this you know this is this this is not cheap cheap crap this this is actually a quality film um which is possibly why it got so much attention in terms of censorship and an international and local um outrage because no one cares about the straight to you know this isn't a straight to video film this isn't a this isn't a takashi miike film this is uh this is a this is a proper feature release yeah definitely so um his further got i mean you mentioned already the fact of his his legacy as a director i mean he directed the japanese sequences for tora 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 mm. along with uh chishiro uh masuda and we mentioned already that akira kurosawa was also involved in the japanese sequences um as along with uh, hido oguni and uh raizo kekoshumi um handled the screenplay for the japanese sequences um Kurosawa, interestingly, was uncredited for his contributions. So, but I think you know history itself has sort of corrected those things um, along the way. And really, after then, he goes into sort of like his Yakuza movies, as he does things like Street Mobster and Outlaw Killers. Uh, he does the Battles Without Honor and Humanity saga, which we mentioned already. He took a very long time to come over here after this film. I would have thought they would have been rush through that when this film sort of uh made it had this big impact that they would be basically buying up any uh Fukusaku uh, sort of properties the same way that when audition came out the fact that pretty much any Takashi Miike film that there was available they were snapping up so you had things such as um Fumo Yakuza and mm. agitator the lower class pictures and food of the new, new generation uh being sort of snapped up along with like his more recent fare and things like you know like dead or alive uh trilogy and um ishii the killer mm. but no um that, that, that's a very <clears throat> that's a very interesting point actually um because we look at um even you look at the director of ring um i can't remember his name but his back and forward 
you know, his catalogue at the time, there wasn't, there wasn't so much to go to. But all his films since all get British releases. <laughs> and, and they get more and more dreadful and more and more useless. <laughs> but they, 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 you know, you can get Rabbit Horror on a UK DVD, which is just a laugh. Actually, Rabbit, no, Rabbit Horror is not one of his, actually, to be fair. Um, the, oh, what's it called? Um, I can't remember. But they're rubbish films, rubbish films. And, and they still get releases. But you're quite right. Um... Um, God, I can't say it. films, um, other than a fairly recent release of um, Battles Without Honor Humanity, you know, I'm thinking in the last five years, I can't really see anything that um, that that, that sort of played on the success and the notoriousness of this film. And it can't be down to genre because, like you say, anything Takashi Miike put out, they, they released or tried to get hold or, or did something about. Yeah, but this film is very sort of unique in the fact that it, when it came out, there, was, there wasn't no sort of rush to sort of either do an American remake of this film or to find similar films to come out. And I think it's because it falls into that deadliest game. Mm. genre of films and there's been so many of those films throughout the year I mean obviously we've we've got this we've got um, there's films like the 80 I think it's uh, like playing the game with Roger Hauer um, mm. you've got um, Turkey Shoot the Brian Trenchard Smith exploitation movie which is also really good um, and so you've you've had these sort of like you know people hunting each other for sport games but we've never really seen it with school kids and I think the problem is that once you've done, once you've done like a new spin on something, you can't really do it again. Uh, if you're doing it with adults, there's always new spins to be found. There's you know throwaway victims to be had, but the sort of shock that is school kids battling each other, um, I think, really sort of made it a hard one to sort of think, oh well, can we just do that again? And I think when you look at certainly when you look at Battle Royale two, uh, you can tell that the format's sort of struggling. Um, in the fact that they had to constantly like mix things up, they had to add all these sort of like different sort of um, quirks to the game to sort of keep it interesting with that sort of tag team collar format that they had, where you know if you had girl one get shot, then girl, then boy one gets uh, blown up as well. So yeah, of course it didn't stop um, something we haven't really spoken about, but it didn't stop someone else picking it up and dragging it out for three 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 books and four films. <coughs> So about 20 years later but um yeah um yeah and i'm not a fan of battle royale 2 either i find that tedious um so really? spoilers spoilers if, you, if you're gonna I'm... do a podcast about that find another guest <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to say we've had people asking if we're gonna do battle royale 2 after this i said we've got 26 episodes so i don't know what state we're gonna be in at the end of this but yeah, well, maybe I'll have maybe I'll have come round, but you I, hear that I, opening orchestration of Battle Royale two, and you'd be like, "All right, it's Battle Royale time again," and then you get like twelve episodes, and it's like, "Oh no, I know what this is." <laughs> no, um, I mean there are things in Battle Royale two, which are kind of hinted at from the novel. Um, yeah, the, 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 there's there's bits in there that are like, but yes, it it doesn't have this. There is something. Although it comes from absolutely that sort of that deadliest game, people hunting people, um, 
sort of B movie thing, yeah, or C movie even. Um, there's nothing else like Battle Royale, and some of it is down to the fact it's children, um, and that's what caused a lot of the outrage. And I guess you can't that that is the spin. <laughs> that that is the spin on the genre is that these are kids. Um, where, where do you go next? Animals shooting each other? I don't know. Um, I was just reading something actually the other day that um, Fukusaku picked it up because it reminded him of back in the Second World War when he was 15. He was working in a, um, a munitions factory making weapons. And that's what resonated with him. Um, that that he was a child being basically paid to kill other people um which i thought was quite a quite a telling um sort of assessment so this is when he was reading the novel but this this is why this this director was attracted to this this story because i I don't think you would yeah I, i just don't think it would have attracted your average um japanese filmmaker this this isn't the sort of story that that attracts the mainstream is it and it's really well done. Do you think, though, obviously considering his legacy as a, a director, that it, it, it made the studio actually invest some some money into the production rather than just treating this as a throwaway VCD I, project? No, I, I absolutely do. I absolutely think that you know Kinji Fukusaku would have would have either he brought money along to the project yeah and he made that project tenable and attracted investors or um or he enabled um or, or bringing him on brought the invest oh, sorry i'm trying to get the i'm trying to get the other the other the other the other way i'm trying to think about it as i was, either him he he either drove it or someone got him to give a pet project some legitimacy I mean, he is not a young man at this stage. He is ill at this stage. Maybe maybe it turned out better than people thought. But I'm absolutely certain his name helped get this film made. And I'm sure there's an alternate universe where this is made by somebody else and, and in that sort of that DTV market, which still could have produced a good film. Um, and that's where... That's where other Kurosawa came from. That's where that's where um, Mike comes from. Um, but it wouldn't have had it wouldn't have had the gloss, and it wouldn't have had the shine, and it wouldn't have had the young starlets that it has got in it. So yeah, for sure, I'm rambling. Edit me. That's okay. <laughs> um, just while we're one well, of the few last points, uh, while we're obviously looking at this group, one well, of the few times that they're all going to be together. Um, for the casting, the auditioned roughly around 66,000 actors, um, which now are down to 800 potential cast members, and the finalists were subjected to a six month period of physical fitness training under the supervision of uh, Fukusaku, who eventually whittled down the cast to his 42 out of the 800. And it's kind of interesting, obviously, we mentioned already about Takashi, Takashi, Takashi Takano. Mm. Um, the fact that he's obviously got this legacy for doing many things, including being a game show presenter. Because in the manga, um, especially in the English adaptation, the game is presented as a reality show. And this, does, this is some real sort of... Um, taking some real leniency with the with the adaptation because it does come to bite them about halfway through the fact that it doesn't quite sync up with the actual Japanese translation of what they 
think they're selling. So it's kind of funny the fact that you have a you have a game show host um, hosting mm-hmm. essentially a, a game show, and we I mean we see this again in the Running Man mm. when we look at who uh, who hosts the Running Man. It's um, it's got Richard that- Dawson, who's obviously well known for being a you know game show host as well. Um, and I mean, I really like Richard Dawson in Running Man just because he's the only person who manages to respond to an Arnie one-liner. <laughs> he was the original host of Family Feud. Mm. And he was also ah. born in my current location. He was born in Gosport. Oh, my he word. He was. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Did you know someone from Hogan's Hero was born in... And he was married <laughs> to Diana Dawes. Oh, we need... This is a, this is another podcast altogether. <laughs> it's this, this, this... Gosh, we could go and visit... We could do a whole show on this fella. Wow. So, um, I also love the fact on Wikipedia he's listed as having three children, including Mark. Why is Mark singled out for? Ah, <laughs> uh, is that because Mark um, has some fame of his own? British yeah. American entertainment manager, the CEO of Doors and Reeves and Zutat Entertainment Group. I don't know, I thought he was just there. <laughs> No, <laughs> the child he, um, they kept in the basement or something. I think I think he worked. I think he also went on to work in um, looking at Wikipedia. This is not my own knowledge, but it looked like he um, went on to work in other entertainment shows. And obviously, he's become famous because of his mum, Diana Dawes, mysteriously ferrying away her money. So he doesn't know. Um, he doesn't go. He's. Uh, his um inheritance because <laughs> she hid it away in banks all over the Europe <laughs> and there's a code and no one knows how to answer it again this is brilliant uh, we found our next show mate <laughs> <laughs> oh Wikipedia I love it <sighs> anything anyway. else that you want to bring up on this no it's ride? interesting I didn't think we were going to be able to talk this long about this scene um, there's a couple of things we haven't spoken about but I think I'd like to bring it up you know the there is another character which is introduced, which is um, um, oh, what's her name's um, Noriko's best friend. Is it Megumi? Is that her name? Yeah. Um, not too who... good with her camera. <laughs> no, not too good with her camera. But she um, she does her, you know that photograph that she takes is of some importance to them later on, at least as, yeah, a, of course. as an ape memoir. <clears throat> she won't last much longer. But. <laughs> um, can yeah, I just, um, when you said about that, when we look at the picture, Nobu's head is cut off. Is it? Yeah. Oh, very, and um, very apt. I just about to say, because depending on which version you have, he's either going to get his head blown off or it's shot off. So it works out kind of well with that little foreshadowing there. Yeah, again, this is not a film made by amateurs. And I'm, I'm you know, very, you, you and I both know very little happens in a film that isn't meant to happen. Um, although sometimes it's coincidence, but you know, on the whole, that that's it. And so that that will have been that will have been absolutely defined. But yes, that 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 picture will be used to um, <clears throat> increase the bond between our two lead characters later on, because uh, both other people in the in the picture won't last as long. It's a memento of happier times. It's, it it's is, those, the, the one of those few mementos of uh, reminders of the innocence, really. It's sort of like, look, there was a time when we weren't all psychotic killers and <laughs> trying to take down a government. I mean, on... a- a- absolutely. It's the one point in the film where 
just for that moment they literally are 15 16 year old kids yeah yeah they're 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 having some cookies they're having a laugh having a bit of a flirt they're in their school uniforms going on the school trip that is that is you know seconds later film time at the very least their innocence whatever innocence they may have left is gone so yeah so i just want you yeah, just wanted to bring to bring that up but that that's about it and we've still managed to talk this long about this this is this is remarkable <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to the end of uh, tonight's episode thank you as always for listening if you haven't done already please do hit the like and subscribe button whether you listen to us on the battle royale podcast feed or if you're joining us through the asian cinema film club um where we're also running these episodes as well so you have a choice of two feeds to subscribe through you can check out our full archive episodes on our blog which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com and while there why not check out our other podcast the asian cinema film club where on our most recent episode we're checking out johnny toe's election a real fantastic Hong Kong triad thriller and again uh, if you uh, want to follow us you can do we're on Facebook under Asian Cinema Film Club we're on Instagram as well and we are on Twitter under um, AC Film Club you can get in touch with us via the email which is battleroyalepcast at gmail.com and uh, you can let us know your thoughts on Battle Royale or any particular things we should be looking out for on upcoming episodes. We'd uh, love to hear any feedback you wish to give us or share any thoughts on the film. It's uh, all very welcome indeed. Um, I do also have to give a shout out to the Deep Blue Sea podcast who not only inspired this podcast, but also had myself and my co-host from over at Movies and Tea, Kim, on as a guest as we were talking about the surprise party in that film. Definitely a really fun podcast to check out and uh, some real deep dives into the history and legacy and, and production of uh, that fantastic shark movie. Uh, but make sure you join us next time as we hit the island and we find out the what exactly is in store for our students as we look at Chapter 3, today's lesson. Until then, good night. <laughs>